Blog Talk Radio. Live from Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. A tax lawyer prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. My name is Mark Kohler, your host, with Matt Sorensen, your co-host. Yes, it's still called the Mark Kohler Show, but soon to be a new branded show with Matt and Mark at the helm, helping all of you, our listeners. Excited to be here with you today. Oh, it's going to be an awesome show. Love the open forum show, too, today. That's right. Excited open to forum. Tackle all, the, so, tackle all the questions. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions uh, in the hopper this, uh, today, lots of email questions in. I know many of you may catch it via podcast after and hope we answer your question. We're going to try to get to all of them if possible. But for those that are listening live, you get priority. So if you want to make sure your question gets uh, on the show today, if you're dialing in, pre- please press the number one, and Lisa in the studio will pick up your uh, call. Uh, make sure you're on track to get on uh, online, and then uh, we'll bring you out on the show live. But if you want, during the show, you can always email a question to mark at markjkohler.com. I'm, I guess I'm controlling the uh, the email questions today, Matt. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you can be the uh, email screener. Okay, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll be the traffic cop when it comes to that. So... Welcome, everybody. If you're new follower of the show, this is our once-a-month show where we take uh, open forum questions. Um, we're also going to a new format for the show, as everybody has been hearing, and we've gotten some emails and support and support for the change. We'll be doing giveaways and questions and a new jingle, a new show title. That should be out um, in the next few weeks. So maybe we'll have a little bit more open forum going on in the future, too. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Everybody loves open forum, even us. Yeah, we do, folks. In fact, it is on one hand, it's a little nerve wracking because we got to make sure we can answer your question uh, without lying, and then, uh, but then <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want to do that. But uh, but then the uh, that's the nerve wracking part. The nice part is we just show up. We don't have to worry about a guest. Don't have to worry about preparing anything. We just show up and uh, BS our way through it. So that's kind of a nice way. Go for it. Yeah. Well, and I always get questions too. You know, clients send to me, and they're like, "I'm like, this is a great show question. Let's bring this up on the show." So I actually have some questions myself over here, Mark. So um, I'll uh, I'll chime in though when we get to a break here. I'll bring in some of these questions. Oh, that sounds great. Well, um, well, let's do this first. As uh, many of you regular listeners know, we want to hit a few announcements. Uh, comment what was on the newsletter and the blog today just so that some of you can, uh, maybe we can add a little extra insight. So we've got some uh, workshops this uh, week. Uh, back matches from one just moments ago. So really, it's Matt, you're you're out there uh, on the street this week. Tell us where you're going to be. Yep, I am on uh, Thursday night. I'm going to be in Orange County yet again. It's like my turning into my second home. Uh, I'll be talking at the Orange County Real Estate Investment Club regarding your self-directed IRA and investing in notes and real estate. Really looking forward to um, speaking there. It's a great club if you haven't been there before. And there's details in the newsletter. Again, that's this Thursday night uh, from 6 to 9. Come on out. Yeah, and there's a, yeah, and there's and, and as you see it on the newsletter, there's a link. Uh, it's on the right-hand side to the upcoming live events. and there'll be a uh, a meetup group where you can actually register right online through the link. So please check that out. Uh, on the important announcements, I cannot emphasize a few critical, critical announcements. For those that are already listening live, this is one where you need to pay attention real quick. Of course, April 15th is right around the corner next week. 
But there's a couple important deadlines other than just filing your extension or your tax return. Number one, health savings accounts. I'm getting a phone call daily about how much can I put in my savings account? Can I still put money in? Um, I'm even getting staff uh, from our office calling going, Mark, I'm trying to do my HSA because <laughs> we have a, an HSA qualifying plan here at our firm too for our employees. So we love them. But um, if, you have a high if you had a high deductible plan at least for one month last year, so by December 1st you had an HSA qualifying plan, then you can make a contribution up until April 15th and get a write-off for 2014. Deadline's the 15th next week. It's $3,300 for singles, $6,550 for married or family. This is a write-off no matter what level of AGI, no matter how... Um, uh, how many kids or whatever income level, it doesn't matter. Take the deduction. Once you turn 65 and on, uh, or on Social Security and Medicare, then you cannot make a new contribution, but you can continue to invest your health savings account and pull money out tax-free. But up until age um, 65, these are fantastic plans. And actually, age 55, you get a $1,000 makeup uh, provision, so you can put even a, a little bit more in. But don't forget your contribution by next week. Just go to a bank. Open it up. You can always self-direct it and move the account around later, but get in there. Um, also, we have the Covered Out ESA. That's the education IRA that you can set up for children or any beneficiary, grandchildren or whatever, and you can put $2,000 in per child up until April 15th, uh, and it qualifies for your 2014 contribution. Now, there's no tax deduction for that, but you can only put in $2,000 per year. So if you do have a child at any age that might go to college, throw in the two grand. It, it's huge. Uh, it's it's a great way to self-direct. And I actually even wrote an article on this um, uh, in the newsletter on education IRAs and how powerful they really are. So please check that article out. Now, Matt, there's also IRA contribution deadlines. I mean, there's lots of options here too. Yeah, we're coming up, you know, your traditional and Roth IRAs, your deadline is the 15th. And you know, I've had a lot of clients who are trying to get money into IRAs, and it's a it's a big time right now for contributions. All the custodians out there are just having tons of contributions because a lot of people like to make their 2014 and 2015 at the same time. You know, so we're in the uh, we're at the 10 yard line, so to speak, in terms of making that contribution. It's <laughs> you're getting to the end of the line here, so yeah, you got to score some points to get the money in the account, but. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get some sports analogies after after last night's game. Just you know, different sport, yeah. but trying to get some, some analogies in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so your Roth and traditional IRAs, you've got until the 15th. You can still make them, and they count for 2014. And you might as well have them count for 2014. I just had a, a conversation with a client this morning about that. Uh, because who knows, you might need to make a 2015 contribution. So if you're making it now, if you can't have it marked for 2014, you might as well. It leaves it open for... 2015, and if you have SEP contributions, um, and you're a small business owner, you want to do a SEP, uh, or even if you wanted to do a 401k for last year and you didn't get it done in time because the 401k had to be set up last year, you can still do the SEP, um, and you can do that by the 15th. Or if you, your company files an extension, you can get up to the extension deadline of October 15th. So, but uh, yeah, the retirement plan contributions are all coming in for for 2014. So get on the ball for those and uh, and start making the contributions. Yeah, and I want to reiterate this point. So uh, again, we've got lots of people jumping on the line right now for the show, so we can see you getting in here. Let me reiterate one of Matt's points and say it in a different way, if I may. If you have a small business and you wanted to do an IRA or 401k and you didn't get your 401k set up last year, and you feel like you're kind of get this SEP done, still put in a contribution of 25% of whatever your net income is in the business. So whether you have an S-corp or a sole prop or an LLC, there's all sorts of options with the SEP. It's not the perfect plan. We're not a big fan of the SEP. We really want to call it the, I screwed up, so I better do a SEP plan. That's really what it is. But then within the next few weeks after you get your SEP funded or in the next few months, we turn around and do the 401k, roll the SEP into it. Now we get a much more tax-efficient solo 401k. And some of you go maybe saying, well, why did, why, why, Mark, why are you so hopped up on the 401k? Because they are so cheap now in a small family business ownership structure, husband, wife, single, whatever, you can set up a 401k for around 1000 bucks, and you can put in so much more money than a SEP or an IRA 
and do it with less FICA tax. That's where the 401k pays off. And if you want to get the 401k started, you can call our office and talk to Misty. We charge 1200 bucks. The 401k is amazing. There's all the attorney support along the way. And in the meantime, you can just walk down to the freaking Wells Fargo and set up a SEP and then do the 401k just a few weeks or months later. And I'm helping clients with that every week. So um, I think that's why, Matt, it's, that SEP is powerful at this time of year, but only this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the, the 401k second fiddle. But uh, it has a little sweet spot here because you can still do it for 2014, where you, whereas you can't for the 401k. So, And I hear you. We're um, having the same conversation with clients on my end, too. Yeah. Well, um, in the newsletter today, there's an article on um, by Matt. I'll toot Matt's horn here. Distributions from your retirement account, the top ten list. I love it. I did a little article on the education IRA, also how to pay your taxes by credit card, and what to do if you can't pay your taxes. What are some of your options? These are all very, very timely articles. And so if you're not on our newsletter, please go to sdirahandbook.com or markjkohler.com or kqslawyers.com, any of our business websites. Head over there, sign up for the newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday morning at midnight. You can catch the, catch the important tips. You're going to love it. Yeah, well, we Matt, got the uh, – what, what about April 15th for tax returns, though? Oh, well, I didn't even think to – I didn't think everybody needed to hear that. I mean, what are you? What, what are you on another yeah, planet? <laughs> what are you living? No, Guatemala? but uh, you know, yeah, no, but uh, you know, it just goes without saying that um, April fifteenth is um, nobody's favorite day, but um, it is next week. So just keep in mind that it's uh, it's right around the corner. So um, now, and I just you know, if I can stay with my sports analogy of um, being on the ten yard line, um, you can call a timeout. And extend. So, you know, if you need to extend some time here and think about how the plays you're going to put on your tax return, you can call a timeout and get an extension. Man, all these sports analogies. You were really into that game last night, weren't you? You know what? It's like the second college basketball game I've watched in probably three years. So, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I was sad about the loss. I, I was hoping for kind of a non-SEC team uh, to win, but Oh well, so uh, yeah. we did have a couple, we had our pool winners at the office. We that uh, was uh, was exciting to see some people that literally had in our office picked Wisconsin and the uh, Duke in the finals. But I mean, their number one seeds. How hard was it? You know, so right, yeah, yeah, Just play the numbers. Yeah, I think on the ESPN uh, uh, statistics, they showed nine percent of brackets had chosen those two teams in the final four. Anyway, so. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a, much of a genius call. Okay, well, we're going to jump into our questions now, folks. We are ready to roll. We've got Lisa in the studio. Uh, hop in there, and if you need to call in, you can press number one. The number to call in is 646-200-4285. Um, we've got a unique question. We're just going to take them. We're going to take them as they come. We are not. We do not screen all these questions and say, oh, that's a, that's a dumb or a hard question. We're going to just throw it out there. Because you know what? We're committed to you. We are here for you, the listener. So even if you ask a a tough question, which this one is, we're going to yeah, do our best. Because you might get some dumb answers, you know. So we'll take the dumb <laughs> questions. You guys accept some dumb answers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fair, fair. Fair. Okay. All right. So we've got Dean here uh, with a question. that One of our partners in our LLC died last year. The only credit card that LLC had was a Discover card opened in the name of the LLC and all the partners had their own credit cards to use on their own and the LLC would reimburse them. That's I'm reading into this. But this was the only credit card in the name of the LLC. Well, this partner died. And it appears that, I'm reading again into this question, that this person who had opened it also personally signed on the credit card, which is typical. So Discover says, even though the account was opened in the name of the LLC, since the individual who opened it, and we need to close the account. The uh, listener says, this makes no sense to me. Well, let me just say, Gene, the reason if you were Discover Card and the only person to guarantee that credit card was dead, you'd probably close the account too because they don't want to come after you Yahoo's in the LLC because you didn't personally guarantee it. So if they let you run up a big bill and the LLC doesn't want to pay the bill and claim bankruptcy, Discover's left holding the bill. So that's why they are closing the account because there's no more guarantor. 
But then Jean goes on to say, uh, it occurred to me if the card is her account and not the LLC's, <laughs> so let's turn the tables now, <laughs> the bill has to be paid by her estate. So now Jean's saying, well, fine, then it's her card, not the LLC's, and the state should pay the bill, and it's no longer a debt of the company. What do you think? Well, my take initially, I'll say Jean right off the bat, Matt, you know, you want to add to this, but I would say Jean, I think yeah. that's a fair that's a fair play. Let let discover uh collect from the estate. They uh they potentially may even write it off depending on the balance because they don't want to go after the estate. It could be a big hassle for them. I doubt they'll come after the LLC itself because uh, again that could be folly to try to go through the LLC for the collection of a credit card. Um the higher the balance, the more likelihood discover card to get pissed but and do be more aggressive, but I think chances are that they're going to just walk away from this when the guarantor dies. Um, but I don't know, Matt, yeah. your take? Yeah, you know, I've done some probates, and I've had um, credit cards involved in probates, and I've been shocked to see how um, they're not like credit card companies trying to collect on the money that's owed. Um, you know, I've had credit cards basically they just they don't chase it down in the probate. And you know, maybe there's some actual compassion over there at the credit card companies despite the uh, 20% interest rate charges, but um so yeah, I think it's very likely that it you know, that it would go through probate and they wouldn't even go after or try and collect from the estate in probate. And um secondly, uh, though the other point I'd make is if this is an operating LLC, though, that you are using and has assets and it's in business or it owns property or whatever it is, I mean, they can still sue the LLC and don't think that they won't. I mean, so, um, you know, the LLC is still on the hook for that. And that you know, if the LLC is gone, not operating, no assets, then I'm not as concerned. But if the LLC is still in business operating, I mean, you got a problem just from the LLC level, regardless of who the guarantor is. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Now, we've got Ken from Illinois. Another question um, says, uh, Mark, we bought a single-family home as an investment property, uh, investment property to buy and hold. In order to secure financing with a residential mortgage, I had to put the property and mortgage in my personal name. Very typical, right, listeners? You have to buy the property in your own name sometimes. Mm. Then the lender said I could move it to an LLC after I closed. What impact, if any, does this have on asset protection? I thought the mortgage note and insurance should all be in the same name. If I change after I close, what implications could there be? Well, Ken, there is no impact on your asset protection. You are uh, uh, to to move this into the LLC after closing is exactly what you should do. If there's a lawsuit that occurs later, just because you're the guarantor on the mortgage, it does not uh, drag you personally into any lawsuit. We've never seen a case like that. Now, again, that's um, it's expected that you're going to keep separate accounting, follow all the corporate bail principles, do your company maintenance. This is a good time to plug Becky over at our office doing company maintenance uh, for clients. We just had a, I just had a call this morning from a client where they thought their company was dissolved and they hadn't paid a fee and this and that. Becky looked it up, found out right now what the status was, jumped on it with, for 150 bucks a year. This, this could have all been avoided by having uh, that company maintenance done on a regular basis. And so what I'm getting at here, Ken, is that's more important than worrying about where the mortgage is at. Maintain your LLC, protect it, follow the rules, deed it to the LLC after closing, you're fine. Now, does that mean you're out of the mortgage? No. Just like the last question. You guaranteed the mortgage, you're on it personally. We can't get you out of that by deeding it to the LLC. But all your other asset protection benefits surely come from this. So I, I wouldn't worry about it, Ken. Yeah, um, and Matt, I think... This... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to add a little thought on that. Is uh, Think of it this way, too. You know, A lot of times when we talk about asset protection, we want you to keep your personal and business separate, you know, don't don't mix the two together. And I think that's, you know, the crux of the question or where the concern came from. But but as the owner of the business, you can contribute into the business and you can obviously take distributions from the business. So when you're putting property and deeding property from your personal name to the LLC that you own, you're contributing that property now to be an asset of the LLC. So you're not crossing, you know, personal and business. It's you're contributing an asset into the LLC that you're an owner of. So um, so I, I wouldn't be concerned about that either. Yeah, great comment. Um, Matt, this question's for you. Uh, it's right up your area. This is from Jean and Fran in Texas. 
appreciate your radio program and the open forum. Uh, we've put to use a number of your strategies outlined in your sessions and teaching. Thank you so much. Um, so here's the question. We have started a retail alkaline water business and had hoped to use the cash we had at APS to start the business. Now, for those that didn't know, APS is a, a custodian of IRA accounts, American Pension Services, who's uh, um, gone out of business, for lack of a better word. However, due to the situation at APS, we were not able to take a 60-day loan from our IRA. This is what I'm reading into. As I understand from information you shared in last week, you know the law has changed, and now we can only take a 60-day loan once a year versus from each IRA account. We have four accounts at APS. So here's the question, Matt. Ooh, this is, I love it. I can throw the hard ones at you. Is there a strategy... <laughs> Is there a strategy where as we move the money from APS to have multiple 60-day loans from the self-directed IRAs, which we own? We have also a self-directed mm-hmm. 401k. Is there a way to move money from an IRA to a 401k? Now they're getting creative. So before you throw the 401k well, in, like let, yeah, let's just talk about the 60-day loan situation. Maybe explain for our listeners what that, yep. what that strategy is and what your options are. Okay, before we even get to that, though, have you tried alkaline water, Mark? <laughs> I have not, Matt. <laughs> okay. Have you? I, I'm I, I'm into it. It's a thing, dude. It's a thing. So my wife you live in Phoenix gets and it. there's no water there. No, it's like a healthy thing. It's like you know, like like alkaline is like base, and then you have we eat, have too much of an acidic diet. Anyways, I know everybody wants to hear my theories on that, but. Um, <laughs> Just a little side note here. I, I like where you guys are going with the alkaline water. I think it's going to be a thing. So, okay. okay. As to the question on the 60 if, rollover, this is a, if we were, Let me just say, as if we weren't buying water in bottles anyway, which even is inconceivable back in the 80s that you would buy water right. in a bottle, now I have to buy alkaline water. So plain water isn't good enough. It's got to be alkaline oh, no. water. Okay. So anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on board, bro. <laughs> This is 2015. <laughs> um, oh, okay, so on the rollover question, this was a there's a case change on this that happened last year. The IRS screwed it up, frankly, and this is a big problem in tax court. The IRS is interpreting the rule themselves wrong. And here's where you stand now, though. If you have an IRA, no matter how many IRAs you have, whether they're traditional, Roth, SEP, I don't care what you have. You can do one 60-day rollover per 12-month period for every 12-month period. So if you have a Roth a tra- and two traditionals yourself in your in your personal name, you can do one 60-day rollover. Now a 60-day rollover is what they're referring to sometimes as the 60-day loan, which where you can get the money out of the IRA. They send it to you. You can hold on to it for 60 days. Do whatever the heck you want with it, and you got to get it back into an IRA within 60 days. Now, most people, when they do a 60-day rollover, they just get the check and then they go, you know, they get it from Charles Schwab and they deposit it into Merrill Lynch or they get it from Charles Schwab and deposit it into a self-directed IRA. And, you know, that, you you know, you, you can do whatever you want. You have 60 days to hold that money. But most people, now, now on the 60-day thing, just a side note, generally when you move retirement accounts, you're just going to send the money from your current custodian directly to the new custodian. And you can do that as many times as you want. You can do that if you wanted. It's where you get the money and can hold it for 60 days that you can only do once every 12-month period per person. So between husband and wife, they could do, you know, one 60-day rollover right now for, for you know, in a, in a one 60-day rollover in a 12-month period. That's where they're, what they're able to do on the rollover. Now, the 401k, we got other ideas there, but uh, that's step one. Yeah, and I'll just say this. That we've got a lot of questions, and Gene and Fran actually threw out a second question unrelated on short sales, so I'm going to bypass that. I actually printed out your email here, Gene and Fran. I, might, I may highlight that in an article in the next week, so keep keep uh, post, you know, follow, continue to follow the newsletter. Um, but on the 401k point, this is great for everybody listening. What Gene and Fran were talking about, borrowing from your IRA, you can only do it once a year for 60 days. Cool. That's fine. But the real power is if you have a self-directed 401k, which is what we talked about at the beginning from the SEP to the 401k strategy for you small business owners, once you get that money to your 401k, you can borrow up to 50% or 50 grand as many times as you want during the year. 
So that becomes a much powerful opportunity for you. If you're going to borrow, get out of the freaking IRA anyway and get over to the 401k. So I like where you're headed with that, Gene. Um, so maybe set up some time with Matt or myself or even get Misty on that 401k, and uh, that, that would be the easiest way to deal with the issue. Yeah, the 401k is way better. The 60-day the rollover, you're playing with fire. I mean, 60 days is is not a lot of time to use money and get it because you have to get every penny back in or it's a distribution. So the 401k is five years. It's way better deal, way, far more flexible. Okay. Well, we've got a question here next from Tammy. Uh, she says, Mark, I'm getting ready to purchase a new home. And she's... Uh, She's asking how she should take title. And ironically, Matt, this relates a little bit to the question you and I were, we had some heated emails back and forth between Matt and I this last week on this very issue, Tammy. She said, should my LLC, (laughs) Matt probably remember this, should my LLC purchase my home, your personal home, and then rent, and then I rent from my LLC? Or do I need to purchase it in my name? Since I'm a single member LLC, would it make any difference tax-wise? I just want the best strategy moving forward and da 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 da. Okay, Tammy, this is a great question. Um, Matt, is it okay if I throw out my opinion here first and then? <laughs> yeah. Is that okay? I, I don't, I, yeah, I'll, yeah. You know, you can take the. I don't think the, I have a different opinion. I just, yeah, so I. Uh, okay. Go ahead, though. Okay, we were debating this amongst the lawyers in the office. So here's the issue. Is there a tax difference? Technically, the answer is no. If you want to put the property in the LLC and then sell it as your primary residence, there is statute and case law that the IRS will treat these single-member LLC as a disregarded entity and you still get sale home exemption. If now, you owned in it you know, and lived in it, you'd meet all those criteria. That's right. The two out of five years rule, da 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 And you treated it like a personal residence on your tax return. Well, where the debate begins is, why in the hell would you do that anyway? And the answer would be, well, Mark, I want asset protection, so I want to put it in my LLC. Well, if you put it in a single-member LLC and treat it like your home and, and put it on your tax return like your home, why do you deserve asset protection? You wouldn't, right? Because you're treating it like your personal residence. You're not treating it like a business entity like you should if you want asset protection. And do we really want to rent it from yourself anyway? And the answer would be no. We don't want to go through all that hassle. Well, Mark, I want the asset protection, but then I want the tax benefits. Well, guys, this is the classic situation where you can't have your cake and eat it too. You want to go to the IRS and get sale of home treatment as your primary residence, but then you want to jump over into the state court and go, I have an LLC and I'm going to treat it like a rental property, so I'm going to rent from myself. Would you really want to rent from yourself? You don't get a deduction for that, and then you're going to claim it as a rental property and blah, 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 and go through all that. It's a nightmare. So, this is one where we just say, and this is what I talk about in my books and articles, do not try to put your primary residence in an LLC. It, it doesn't accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish, and you can't have your cake it, you need it to when it comes to asset protection and tax planning. It's just unworkable. If you want protection for your home, this is where we can do an asset protection review and talk about your um, the state um, uh, oh, Matt, what's the homestead word? Homestead exemption. Homestead your exemption. Yeah, your homestead exemption. And you can also use a domestic asset protection trust. You might use equity stripping. You might use umbrella insurance. There's four or five different strategies depending on the state where you're at and how much equity you have in your home. But using an LLC is just, I think, pain in the butt, a, a lack of a better word. Matt, I, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So um, Mark said you can't have your cake and eat it too. And this is where we disagree. Because what is cake good for if you can't eat it? What else do you do with it? (laughs) I've never understood that phrase. (laughs) All right. Now we're in the theoretical debate. Yeah. Okay. So here's the, the, you know, we have, we just wanted to make sure this is the, you know, where the debate started on this question. I actually agree with Mark from an asset protection strategy is 
why do you why would you use an LLC? The LLC should be holding a rental property, an investment property, a business. You know, what I mean, it, it 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 needs to be in business essentially, and your home is not in business. So, but the question in terms of can I still get the sale of home exemption if it's a single member LLC, disregarded for tax purposes, and that is the only situation where it works? Then yes, you could still get the sale of home exemption. But then it goes back to I think you know. Mark's point. Why would you even want to use an LLC? Um, you're not in business anyways. So um, I think the LLC, obviously, we're using it for rental properties and investment properties and things like that, where you you do need asset protection and you need to protect yourself from liabilities of those other people like tenants who would be on the property. Yeah, Matt, great point. So, Tammy, oh, you opened a can of worms there. Great comment. Uh, let me see. All right, Mark, I got a question from you on a somewhat somewhat related, though. Yeah, okay, go ahead. All right, I'm going to fire away. This is from Trevor. So Trevor says, uh, I have multiple investment properties, rentals. My tax accountant told me to create a business LLC for better tax purposes. I did that for the last couple years, um, and when I filed the taxes, I did not see any benefits of having the business um, for what I'm doing besides taking care of the tax preparer. (laughs) So the question is, what are the benefits of having a business LLC for what I'm doing um, how do I maximize the benefits of having the LLC? Well, Trevor, the, the first thing is you're not getting a benefit from your CPA. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> uh, your CPA pulled a fast one on you, and that's sad because here's the deal. And, folks, you've heard me say this from the radio show and from workshops around the country, and I'll, I'll yell it out right now without yelling in your ear here. And here's the question. Does an LLC save taxes? Think about it, everybody. Does an LLC save taxes? No. LLCs do not save taxes. I don't know what a business LLC is. <laughs> Funny little word the CPA yeah. is. I think but, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So an LLC does not save taxes. Why do we set up LLCs, folks? For asset protection. That's it. Now, could you reduce your chances of an audit? Yeah. If you file a two-member LLC, can I use my IRA or 401k in a special purpose LLC? Sure. Can, I, can the LLC give me protection and, and hire my kids? Sure. But, the, but I can hire my kids anyway, and I can run my business and take all my write-offs anyway. So, Trevor, the sad part here is you're absolutely right. You've gotten no extra tax benefit from this LLC. However, you've done an important thing, and that is get asset protection. Um, did I say no tax benefits? Yeah, I did. So, but you did get asset protection, and that's the important thing, Trevor. That's why we do LLCs. So even though your CPA may have misled you from the tax perspective, he did you a service. You really needed the LLC anyway. So keep it, take care of it, do your company maintenance, don't stress about it, um, and just go in with your eyes wide open. Okay, Matt, I got a question here for you. This is from Howard. If you are holding a workshop out of state, so you're traveling for business, and let's say your wife and one of your kids decide to come, and then all three of you decide to stay an entire week, what expenses are deductible as a business expense? Can you deduct expenses at 100% or do you have to proportion the expenses? What would you say, Matt? Well, that's unfortunate. That Well, it depends on how much business is being conducted. So unfortunately, you're going to have to pro- proportion the expenses to the extent of the business. But I think, you know, that they're, you know, for some of those expenses are going to have to be sunk no matter what. I mean, time spent at the at the event or the workshop, I mean, the travel there, you know, but you're going to maybe, if you stay extra hotel nights, things like that, I think those are going to have to be proportioned out. Um, You're not going to be able to to use those as a business expense entirely. Certainly the nights that you would need to be there for the event and the business purpose would be appropriate. I completely concur. And one, uh, on a specific note, I would say your travel there, hotel, airfare, rental car, and your travel back would be deductible 100%. Those extra days are going to be the question mark. Now, there's things that you might be able to do. Maybe there's some extra workshops in the area, like investment club meetings. Maybe there's um, some vendors, some customers, some clients that uh, you could meet with. Um, try to find some other business reasons to be there um, on those non-workshop days. But yes, go for a proportional deduction. Um, question from Cliff in Idaho. What qualifies, in quotes, 
a house as a rental property per the IRS rules. Well, Cliff, I just say if you have a uh, renter in there, that's the key point. <laughs> um, if, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Cliff. It's actually this is a good question. It's kind of funny. Like, what makes a home a rental? Uh, you rent it. Um, but it is true that I just had a consult with a client the other day where they said, well, Mark, we bought it as a rental, but we didn't get a renter in there until 2015. Could we take a deduction as a rental property in 2014? So I think, you know, not mocking you at all, Cliff, I think Cliff's got a great question that your intent matters in, to a, in a great deal in those initial months of after acquisition. So if you've got it listed for rent, even if you don't get a renter, it's still a rental because you're trying to rent it. So... I would say, Cliff, think about your intent, think about what ultimately happened, and make sure you have a renter in there, um, that sort of thing. And he says, is there a minimum number of days or percentage of time that it must be rented out to qualify? This is a particular interest for a seasonal rental-type property does not rent it out full-time. Well, it's obviously a rental when you have renters in there, and then the percentage of use as a rental, just like the, Matt was talking about the proportion of travel, you have to look at the months during the year that it's a rental and the months that it's not. So you'd say, oh, it was rented 70% of the time, so it's a rental 70% of the time. And then you would depreciate 70% of the property and take 70% of the expenses and yada, yada. So it is very uh, common to do a proportional issue. Uh, now, I would say this. If you don't use it personally at all, and it just sits there, and you rent it when you can. Now, this is the key issue here. Plus, this is a really good question. Because if you go use it personally when it's not rented, that's where this proportion issue becomes a factor. But if you just have it there and rent it when you can, and you never use it personally, I would call it a rental for the entire year, 100%. So there are some questions here. Um, regarding this. He said, should I rent it to myself? No, don't rent it to yourself when you use their uh, when you go there, it's just personal fix-up time. So you're there to fix it up. Another major topic. I never want you to stay at your rentals. I want you to go to your rental to work on it. Fix-up days do not count as rental days. Um, he says, what documentation is required if I stay there for a day or two while doing maintenance? Excellent strategy, Cliff, like I just said. Just keep good um, calendar records of what you did when you were there. Keep your receipts. Um, and, it said, and he said, finally, what tax deductions can I claim since it's not rented full-time? Well, if you're not using it personally and you're trying to rent it full-time, again, I would take 100% of the deductions as a rental that's just rented when you can get it. So uh, it's your personal use that's going to be the concern. So be, be really, really careful. Okay, we've got a live caller here. So let's bring uh, Kyle out on the line, and we'll see where this goes. I guess I think it's about a, uh, a, uh, a purchase of a new vehicle. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. And uh, first of all, I would like to thank you so much for the show. Um, I'm a newbie entrepreneur, and uh, I would say largely because of your show, I just start on my dream right now. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, thanks for listening. We, we'll, uh, we'll be here every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, <laughs> sure. trying to rock your world. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, the world is, yep, go ahead. No, no, sorry. We've got so many questions. I'm going to move you along. But please, I hope to talk to you more even one-on-one. -on -one. Thanks for calling in. So, sure. Kyle, yeah. so, tell, tell us about it. What's going on? Exactly. So I'm trying to buy a new vehicle for my business. And I know that uh, leasing is not an option for me. So uh, my question is actually whether I should buy it through my S corporation or through my personal account and what are the implications uh, I tried to listen to your uh, webinars, and CFO doesn't mention about that one, actually. Well, great question. And uh, I just talked about this the other day. So, Matt, if it's all right, let me just throw this out quickly. And that is yeah. the asset protection um, would be your only consideration. See, the IRS doesn't care who owns your car. The IRS mm -hmm. just says, did you use it for business or not? And that's okay. the first core question. So the IRS is going to say, what, tell us about your business. You know, at, did you drive it for commuting or personal to go to the movies or grocery store? Then obviously not deductible. But anytime you drove it for business, mm -hmm. we're cool with that. And we don't care who owns it. Um, then you can go to the second tier of questions, which is, should I take the mileage or actual? 
and 90% of the times you're going to take the mileage deduction, which this year is 57.5 cents per mile. And then um, you'll, you'll uh, track your business miles and go for it. The reason why you might want your S-Corp to own the car is there is an extra asset protection benefit of having your business own the vehicle. Uh, if you have employees drive it, if you're out, of, out and about, and heaven forbid there was an accident, they would have to get through the business to show that you were personally negligent before they could cut off you personally. So if possible, and sometimes with auto loans it's not possible, but if possible, and you do have an S-Corp, I think uh, it's great to have the business own the car. But again, it would only be for an asset protection benefit. Similar to Trevor's question earlier, the entity is not going to give you any tax benefit by having to own the car. It's just really asset protection. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, okay, so what type of license is it, Kyle? I think that's the that's the distinguishing question for me in the end of whether you want it owned by the S Corp for asset protection is what kind of business is it, and do you have liability when driving or not? Right. Yeah. Because my other concern is whether I have to file more like switch benefit if the corporation owns the vehicle and I use it as as Mark mentioned that I'm going to grocery shopping or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this, the county fair season is around the corner, and if you're going to be signing up for any demolition derbies, I would have the company <laughs> buy the car. And yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, we actually have a client here in Orange County that does the demolition derby every year, and I take all my Boy Scouts out, and we, we mm-hmm. cheer them on. And uh, it's really uh, in the south, uh, it's, it's a huge business. There's traveling demolition der- derby drivers that make a living doing demolition derbies. It's it's quite fascinating. So uh, that that would be a good reason, you know, Kyle, to have the company buy the cars for a tax-deductible uh, marketing expense in the derby. So just throwing that out, you know. All right, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Nice, nice tidbit, Mark. <laughs> Always look for those uh, demo, Demolition tidbit. derby professional drivers. Just throwing out some career options for people online. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle, that could be your new career. There you go. Awesome. I'm sure your Boy Scouts are like, really? I can do this and get paid? <laughs> and they're, That's true. They're I'm taking home. Their parents are so happy. <laughs> yeah, they're like, hey, I could work at the Carney. You know, I'll be a Carney the rest of my life. Like, the Scouts love that. They dream of running the Tilt-A-Whirl. You know, that's that's what they dream of doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, okay, Matt, we got a question from Clint. Let me throw this one at you. Um, he's talking about converting my residence to a rental. He says, I've been living in my home for 20 years, valued at 250 grand. What are the tax implications if I convert it to a rental for, say, two years and then sell it? I assume I would set a rental value for depreciation during the time it's rented, but then can I take the full amount of the tax-free sale as my personal residence when I do sell it before the three years is up? Um, yeah. And what do I need to take off for depreciation? Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, let me let me hit this and I'll let you do clean up on this. So, because this okay. this is what I'm doing. So I'm you know I I like the idea because for me right now I'm buying real estate. I'm not selling real estate. So um, I you know I the last two homes I've lived in I've kept. I didn't I didn't sell, and uh, I'm I'm you know I've been curious on the same point too. So the sell of home exemption works, and there's some IRS examples on this. Um, where you you know you can still leave the home and leave it vacant or rented for uh, three years after you leave because you got two year period where you lived in it out of the prior five year window. So within that three year window, you can still pick up the sell of home exemption um, and and avoid up to two hundred fifty thousand gain single five hundred thousand uh, if you're married. Now in terms of once it's converted over to rental. Like for some two of mine, which I've already done, I am taking depreciation on those, and um, this is where I'm uh, letting Mark play cleanup because I don't know how that depreciation is going to be taken into account when I do. If I did sell them, I'm probably not, but if I did sell them within that three-year window, to um, use the sale of home exemption. Yeah. So, what do you think, Mark? How is that depreciation going to come back in? I don't. I don't know. You betcha. It is called, the terrible word we hate, called depreciation recapture. So it's really the IRS is giving you a deduction for two to three years, and then you've got to give it back when you sell the home. So it's kind of like borrowing money from your best friend and then giving it back interest-free. 
And if you could, think about it, everybody. If I could get a write-off from the IRS and take it for the next three years, even if I have to give the write-off back, doesn't that help my tax bill now? Yes. And so based on the time value of money, always take the depreciation, even if you have to give it back later. The second point I would make, too, is just to add to this, is you would want to generally get a, a, a an appraisal or something to document the value of the home at the date you convert it to a rental because you get the sale of home exemption on any gain that you've appreci- that's been created while it was your home. Now that it's a rental, if the price, if the value really stays the same before you sell, there is no gain because from the date you converted it to a rental to the date you sold it, there was no future appreciation. So you're fine. You still get to take the home, sale of home exemption on the whole kit and caboodle. So a uh, couple numbers to keep in mind there, too. Um, great comment, Matt. Okay, we've got Gene, a live caller here, and I think this is about travel as well, so we're going to see where this takes us. Gene, welcome to the show. Hi there. Uh, I have several Thanks. businesses. Some of them are Internet stores. Some of them are real estate. Some of them are something else. When I go on a trip for one business, I try to look around and, and uh, see if I can do business for some of the others at the same time while I'm in a new city. How do I handle the tax deduction for the trip? Do I put it all on well, the business that was the primary reason or try to apportion it out? Well, uh, Matt, I'll, I'll hit this one first and maybe you back clean up. I, Gene, this yep. is a great question. <laughs> and I would say um, two or three comments. First of all, I love what you're doing. When anybody out there, all of our listeners, when you're traveling, you want to find multiple business purposes to be out traveling. Now, of course, this is the bane of my family's existence and my wife in particular, that she's like, why can't you just go on a trip and enjoy the trip? I've always got to find some reason to deduct it. Um, this weekend, it's spring break, and we're going to be in an RV, at, a, at an RV lot up, um, up the coast for a couple nights, and uh, I'm going to probably give some evening presentations out by the pool on tax planning to the RV owners. I'm a big RV fan. So anyway, um, I'm going to try to find a way to write off this RV gene. <laughs> but anyway, so I love what you're doing. Everywhere you go, think of a business purpose. Um, now, from a kind of a tax planning strategy standpoint, wouldn't we want to spread out those expenses and kind of bury them in multiple returns or multiple businesses? I would love that because it, it really reduces your travel expense all in one bucket, on one business. Let's spread it out and uh, spread the love around, and it could reduce your chances of uh, a line-item audit where the IRS says, why is your travel so high? So let's spread it out over multiple businesses. But let me make one last cautionary point. When it comes to travel and, and business deductions, the business interaction has to consummate in a transaction. You need to be meeting with a vendor, a customer, checking on a rental, doing a workshop, something where there's an actual transaction. Some people say, oh, I went to Hawaii and I looked at rentals. I'm going to write off my trip to Hawaii. No, 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 no. Just shopping for rental doesn't cut it. I can't just go window shop these stores and think that was a business purpose. Now, if in your business, Gene, the, you're literally meeting with people and you're taking um, pictures and doing inventory per se, you know, in these different stores and shops, and it really does relate to your business in a significant way, just keep decent records and write off the whole dang trip and then spread it out. So anyway, just a few thoughts there. I, Matt, anything you'd add? Yeah, I I would look to it. I think the audit risk is the the higher part. Obviously, you want to make sure the expenses um, are legitimate. But I would look at, um, you know, where is my income? Where do I have a lot of income coming in? Where an expense, a lot of travel expense, isn't going to cause a red flag or cause me issues? And you know, you may have a newer business starting up, for example where you may not want to push too much of your travel expense and you may want to put it into an existing business that has more income just so it doesn't stand out as much. That's the only, uh, only thing I'd add to the conversation there. Otherwise, I'd just put an amen to everything you said. Amen, brother. Sounds fun, Gene. Yeah, amen. Gene, what do you, you sound good? Could I ask another? Yeah, it's great. Another question. When I, uh, well, yeah. when I travel somewhere as a uh, representative of... Uh, a fraternal organization or uh, a professional organization. Um, is there any way to deduct it? Well, I. Uh, it, is it charitable? Let me. <laughs> it, it's usually uh, C5. Uh, okay, um, I would throw like, this out as an example. 
retired like retired federal employees or uh, uh, federal managers association or uh, optimists well i would just again make sure that the your professional designation or status relates to some sort of meeting or presentation or something on the trip just because you had a pin on your lapel that said i'm part of part of this fraternal organization and everybody on the subway saw me i'm going to write off my trip to new york i i don't think that would qualify i'm a scoutmaster and i may have my eagle scout but i mean my chapter sent me to a state meeting or a national meeting as a representative of the chapter golden golden you're good you're good girl do it so again just making sure that you're going for some sort of function is is the important issue it's not just parading around town that you're i'm a scoutmaster so i'm going to write off my trip as a charitable trip i need to go to a scout meeting or something like that Okay, so it, it's it's uh, in charitable deductions, even though it's C five and not C three. Well, it depends, you know. And and Jean, this is probably one where a little personal consult might be important as to what these expenses are, how much they are, the type of business you have. Um, but a C five is going to generally be more business oriented than charitable because you're doing it whether it's Chamber of Commerce or the Lions or the Rotary. So there may be a business purpose that could work because you're doing it to network. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk one-on-one. Maybe it could work well. And talk to your accountant about it. There, is there somewhere to write this off? I feel so, yes. Where is the second question? So. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, you bet, Gene. Thanks so much. Um, now, we have another live caller here, and he emailed this question in, but he wanted to make sure we get it in under the wire. So I said live callers get uh, priority. Smart. So we've got Chris. Smart. And, yeah, and this is a... 401k question. So buckle up, Matt. Here we go. Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Mark and Matt. I really appreciate it. And you're right, I did call it so I could get it under the wire there. Uh, <laughs> quick question about uh, my uh, my solo 401k. I have one associated with my S-Corp. And uh, right now it's just me in the company. But uh, I'm I'm looking at other opportunities where I may want to hire on employees. And I know that's a no-no with a 401k. So um, I really want to find out what my options are. You know, I, I really don't want to roll it over into an IRA. Is it possible that, you know, the investments that I have, I can keep it in there, but maybe uh, shut it down where I can't do any employee or employer contributions? Uh, the goal here is I really don't want to have to pay for, uh, you know, provide that benefit to the employees at this point in the beginning. All right, great question. So I think on the 401K, um, and now keep in mind, the solo 401k is the only one you got to worry about when you add in employees. So, um, right. and you got some time. So, the first thing is they um, presumably your 401k restricts um, employees from participating in the 401k up to one year. So they have to be an employee of yours for a year. So that could at least buy you one year of time. Um, if your 401k doesn't restrict participation to having worked there a year. You could amend it so that it does, so you could at least buy yourself one year from the time you hire someone who's a full-time employee. Um, the second thing is uh, you could just convert it to a typical employer-based 401k where employees can participate too. You'll need to change the 401k up a little bit, um, and we're trying to get to that point where we can help clients because we're setting up solo 401ks for clients right now. And eventually we'll be helping clients set up 401Ks where their employees can participate and the business owner can have an account in the 401K that they can self-direct. And employees could just buy you know, mutual funds or stocks or things that the typical person or an employee may want to do. So um, you could move the solo K over to an employer-based 401K. Um, and again, you wouldn't need to do that until the person was there at least a year, your first employee. And then the third thing you could do is, or sorry, the third point just to point out is you could um, close the plan. So the plan could still be in existence and could still have your money in there, as you mentioned, but you could um, close the the plan in terms of new contributions. Um, You would be restricted from making contributions yourself, um, but then you wouldn't be violating any rules by holding on to the old 401k plan that, that has your existing dollars. So that that's a possibility. Um, I just think, I, I think if you're still wanting to contribute, 
in the end, you, the, the best option is to just get a 401k for your employees. Once they're there a year, they can participate. And it's a good and benefit option to have for any small business owner to have an employee be able to contribute. And excuse me, the costs aren't that significant. Um, you can decide if you want to match their contributions or not. It could just be a really vanilla 401k that you just it's only employee contributions. You put in money off your income if you want. Employees put in money off their income if they want. And you may not have employees that participate, but you do have to make it available to them if they're full-time and have worked for you for a year. And if awesome. I could, Chris, just to yeah, and let me just add two points. I think on the, the last one that Matt was making there is an important one. So many people think that, oh, I've got employees, so a 401K doesn't make sense anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. You can still contribute a heck of a lot of money and not – do any matching. You can have a cliff. You can have this vesting schedule for a year. There's a lot. They call it a safe harbor plan. So there's a lot of options um, to really build a 401k where you can probably still accomplish everything you want to, and it's not going to cost you a lot more. And so uh, don't be dissuaded. The second point I would make, too, is this is for everybody listening, especially. Um, It's a common issue where clients call up and go, well, I don't want an employee, so I'm just going to treat them like a sub be really, really careful of falling into that trap where, well, I'll just 1099 them and I'm safe. If these employees get hurt while driving errands or at the work or any situation where they feel they've been disenfranchised um, and they make a claim under workers' comp or some sort of employment claim, you're going to be hooked on the hook personally. It is dangerous, dangerous to call someone a 1099 sub when really they act like, look like, smell like, and are treated like a, a W-2 employee. So if that's the case, just buck up and treat them like a freaking employee and be careful of getting into that trap as a 1099. Great, great. Just one real quick follow-up, uh, and I think I know mm-hmm. the answer to this, but if I did a separate entity and a separate business and started up uh, employees there, that I, I still would have to provide them a 401k benefit because my other company had it. Is that correct? And assuming I have yes. operation control of that new business. Yes, the IRS has thought of that, and they figured people would try and do that. And so, yeah, you would if what you if did they're that. Completely different industries. Completely different industries. Does that make any difference? Well, well this is Matt, one we looked I into. Just, Go ahead. Yeah, and, and Matt, let me just say, I sent out an email on this yesterday to a client on separate line of business rules. Randy Lupe, one of our constant sponsors of the financial planner, sent me the links on this. You may think it's a separate line of business, and if you want to Google this, uh, Chris, look under SLB 401k ERISA rules. Um, a separate line of business is great, but it's also a 50-employee requirement. Each separate business oh. has to have at least 50 employees, or you can't claim separate line of business. So um, ah. you can look that up, and there's a checklist yeah. of about five criteria to meet that rule. It sucks. Or you have to have a Sorry. different ownership. There's another way that if you have different ownership where um, there's a 20% ownership difference between the two companies, then you could you can get different treatment. Um, but if it's just all you yep. or you and a spouse, then, you know, you're sunk. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm 100% in one but I'm 50-50 with another partner on the other, that might work? That may yes. work. You could have a possibility yes. there. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. And we all can right. give you Do a referral on that. Yeah, if you have any you need a referral on any referral, okay, just call our office and we'll we'll get you a specialist in that area because it is yeah, Kevin, a work solo for Kevin guys, Kennedy. But, he's a Kevin Kennedy's perfect. pretty good at that separate line of business stuff in our office. Yeah. Great. Great. I might call him for a referral, uh, call him for a consultation. Thank you. Right, hey, thanks, Chris. Chris. You got it. Well, folks, <laughs> we only have about a minute left, but there's a quick question on the chat line and let me say this to anybody that emailed a question in. I am so sorry if we didn't get to you. We probably need to up the frequency of our uh, open forum. Um, but on the chat line, someone said, Mark, I owed the Illinois some taxes. They've contacted me now, and it's rent from 700 to 2200 Is there anything I can do? Yes, call them and try to negotiate a waiver of the penalties. You probably are going to owe the interest and the original tax. But if you have a good enough excuse, you can get out of the penalties. So give that a shot. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Matt, another awesome show, huh? Oh, yeah. I love open form. I agree. Let's do this more often. Yeah. You know what? Let's do this. We're going to commit right now. Matt, next week, should we do another open form? Should we throw down? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. we got we got a ton of questions here, folks. If we didn't cover your questions today, we are going to cover them next week on a back-to-back open form show. We, we love the response. We appreciate your listener. Please come out next week.
Matt, love you, man. Thanks for being my co-host. Hey. So. Yeah, always a pleasure, always an honor. All right, see you, everybody. See you next week.